Hi, this is Karin Zissis of ASCOA Online, and welcome to our first episode of 2023. With a new year come new elections in at least three countries in Latin America, Argentina, Guatemala, and Paraguay will pick their next presidents. It's still early days, so the outcomes are far from clear, but one thing's for sure, in many countries, people are not satisfied with their governments. Let's take Guatemala. Current conservative president Alejandro Chamate has an approval level running at about 24%. He can't seek re-election, but voters aren't optimistic about their options. There's a lot of despair, a lot of disappointment regarding the authorities in Guatemala and the leaders, the political leaders. So everybody is feeling a lot of despair, like nothing can be done. Like... That's Mario Dos Cheng political scientist and professor at the Universidad del Valle de Guatemala. I spoke with her about the race in her country, where the electoral season kicked off and the first round vote is slated for June 25th. But even with dissatisfaction running high, the country appears to be bucking the regional trend of turning to the other side of the political spectrum for options. In fact, the daughter of a deceased right-wing dictator is a frontrunner. Meanwhile, in Argentina, the country closed out 2022 with inflation running close to 95%. So it may not be surprising that President Alberto Fernandez faces an uphill battle toward re-election. 91% of Argentines believe the country is headed in the wrong direction. That doesn't mean the opposition Juntos por el Cambio coalition has it in the bag. While both the governing Peronists and the opposition face internal battles to pick candidates, Libertarian outsider Javier Millet has the potential to take advantage of the infighting and act as a spoiler. If Millet, you know, is able to get a, you know, something more like a 20% in, in the general election, that could really affect, uh, you know, the, the, the chances of Juntos por el Cambio. That's Juan Cruz Diaz, founder and managing director of Buenos Aires-based Cefedas Group and special advisor to ASUA. My colleague Luisa Leme spoke with him about how the coalitions are positioning themselves ahead of the PASO primaries in August, which will determine the official candidates. Now, even before these two countries hold their elections, Paraguayans head to the polls on April 30th. There, the rightist Colorado party has controlled the presidency nearly continuously, giving their candidate, Santiago Peña, a leg up, despite the fact that he was handpicked by Horacio Cartes, a former president who's been blacklisted by the U.S. for corruption and ties to terrorist groups. Will frustration with the status quo be enough to spell a win for someone from the opposition, like Efrain Alegre, who's pledged to ditch his country's long-standing diplomatic relations with Taiwan in favor of ties with China. Well, we'll have to wait a bit to find out. We'll be talking more about that Paraguayan vote in another episode. For now, let's turn to Guatemala. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. 
podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Hi, thank you very much, Maria Los Chang, for being with us today. It's a pleasure to have you back. The last time we spoke was in 2019, before the prior Guatemalan election. So it's wonderful to check back in years later and, and see where we are in this process. Elections don't take place until June, but the electoral process in Guatemala began on January 20th, just last week. So before we get into the details of the upcoming vote, let's talk about sort of the atmosphere right now on the ground. It's hard to ignore recent events casting a shadow over this electoral cycle. Over the past two years, more than 30 anti-corruption judges and prosecutors have been forced to actually leave the country amid threats of unrest and other challenges. And observers have called into question what seems to be government efforts to root out corruption fighters rather than corruption itself. What does the situation mean for the upcoming elections? How are voters seeing the issue of corruption as they look ahead to the June elections? I would think most of the people are thinking about the cost of living. Like, how can they actually improve their economic uh, lives and thinking about how can they survive the economic crisis that is happening in the whole world? And secondly, um, there's a lot of despair a lot of disappointment uh, regarding the authorities in Guatemala and the leaders, the political leaders. So everybody is feeling a lot of despair, like nothing can be done. Like the people that actually try to do something is out of the country and is being persecuted by the public ministry. That's insane. <laughs> like, how can you actually persecute somebody that was trying to fight the corruption that it was gonna that is happening in Guatemala? So I would say like most of the people is trying to survive here, like trying to actually thinking how can they leave the country because the last poll said that forty six percent of the Guatemalans think that the best thing they can do is to move to migrate to the United States or to move the, the country and that's that's not normal. Like that can manifest the despair that is happening in Guatemala. Like you cannot think in a future here. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's wrong. The current president, Alejandro Jamate, has very low approval. Um, he can't run again. So let's talk a little bit about who is in the running. So let's get into one of the candidates who has been leading in the polls. Her name is Zuri Rios. She's a longtime legislator who is also known for being the daughter of now deceased former dictator Efrain Rios Montt. You know, so we have a conservative in office. We're looking at another leading conservative candidate. What makes her a front runner? Why is she so popular? First, uh, a lot of people know who she is in Guatemala. You need to be known in actually to win an election. People need to know who you are. Like, it doesn't mean that they have a positive or negative opinion about you, but they need to know you first. And she's very known, as well as Sandra Torres and as well as the other candidates that are in the first places. The second thing, the opinion regarding her is 50-50. People love her or people hate her. And the other thing that you need to take into account when we talk about Suri Rios is that people in Guatemala, they don't recognize that we went through a genocide. 
that her father actually promoted a genocide against a group of people in Guatemala. They don't recognize this. Like, yeah, we were in a war. It was a civil war. Like, they don't recognize that the state and that Rios Mont actually promoted a public policy to eradicate a community in Guatemala. For the international community, they see this like, how can you vote like someone like her, right? But I think most of the people sees her like, yeah, she she's going to be like her, her father. Like, she's really good with things regarding to security. She's going to help us to reduce violence. And, and the second thing, like, you need to understand that in Guatemala, um, the influence of the church is huge. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few institutions in Guatemala that actually works in influencing people. Like, the other one is the military the military institution, like these are the two huge institutions that have um, recognition in Guatemala. They have influence in what people think. So obviously any candidate that put himself or herself into a category of being a conservative is going to have a huge popularity. They're going to defend our values. They're going to defend pro-life. They're going to defend that family has to be traditional and not all these nonsense that is happening in the world like progressism and the global agenda in the united states and all the things that we're seeing so um yes because churches has a huge influence in in the society that's why most of the candidates think try to put themselves as a conservatives i was reading something that 43% of Guatemalans are evangelicals. I didn't realize it was actually that high. I knew that there was a large evangelical population in Guatemala, but it's quite high. And that that changed because the Catholic Church used to have more influence in Guatemala. And over the last years, like, same happened to in Brazil, and something is happening similar in all Latin America. The evangelical church is getting more uh, power and more conversion in people. To stay on this topic, you mentioned uh, Sandra Torres. Um, For listeners who aren't familiar, Sandra Torres, this is uh, not the first time she's running for for president. She's also considered one of the stronger contenders. She's a former first lady. Her husband, who just passed away a few days ago, was, you could argue, Guatemala's only center-left president. He was the only, really one of the few leaders in, in Guatemala that was not a conservative leader. If we look at trends in Latin America, most of Latin America has recently shifted to the left. It's also been about anti-incumbency. Why aren't Guatemalans choosing the other option? Why, with one unpopular conservative leader, are they tending towards other conservative leaders? Yeah, the, the opposite candidate that you can say that is against the status quo and is more from the left is Telma Cabrera and Jordan Rodas. You need to understand that in Guatemala, uh, racism and discriminations are, are still very present in institutions and the common norms and traditions. So it's going to be really hard for Guatemalans to vote for an indigenous woman. But she has been growing and she has been positioning herself like the other option, like the only option that can actually battle the status quo in the country. But with Sandra Torres, she has been very clever to gain the votes that she needs in order to win uh, or be very close to, to the first position in elections. And that can actually move her to the second round. 
But what she has been doing in Guatemala has been negotiating with uh, mayors. She has been negotiating with uh, local leaders. And that helps her a lot to gain the, the necessary votes that are not in the city. While we're looking at potentially, you know, 10 or even more presidential candidates for voters to choose from. On top of that, voters are going to have to choose to renew the Congress. And they're going to have to pick from close to 30 political parties. That is just a very large number. I would assume that this means a sort of a a weakening of political parties. What does it mean for voters who have to choose between all of these political parties? And how did we get here to have so many? I think it's a failure of the system, of the political system, because first, another survey that NDI did around 2015 and then 2019, they asked Guatemalans if they feel represented for any political party. Less than 30% feels represented by any political party, and less than 30% will actually participate in a political party. So we have these two data points that describe that people don't feel represented and describe that people don't want to participate in a political party. So why do we have so many? Why do we have 29 political parties? And the answer is that because political parties are the vehicle or the way to actually gain something from the the state. They try to get elected or they try to work for the state in order to enrich themselves. So they don't go to serve, they don't go to change people's life, they go to become richer or rich. The political parties in Guatemala are the vehicles to actually achieve that position in the state and then become more rich. So they need the political parties to be elected and then end in the state and and win something from it. So that's the only explanation that I can actually see that can explain why we have 29 political parties, because most of these political parties, they don't represent the citizens, they don't represent the identity of the citizens, and they don't work for change anything, except for a few. Like We, we have like Semilla, we have some political parties of the opposition, we have WINAC and maybe MLP. These political parties, they are trying to shift things trying to be more representative, trying to have primaries. They are trying to have more connection with the citizens and with the general people or people in general. But most of the other political parties that we see is like a franchise. You use their name, you use their money, you use their structure in order to be elected. And then you can forget about it. Like, And then you can change parties and... Most of the people that aren't trying to be re-elected for these 2023 elections are coming from another political parties. Yeah, I, I saw a chart on this that there's a lot of party hopping. Yes. I would say that it also seems like it's got to be very confusing for a voter yes. who's entering the entering the voting booth and has to look at their ballot and, and make sense of, yeah. <laughs> of their ballot, right? It's got to be pretty challenging. You have like two minutes to go to the ballot and choose. So most of the people, like, they are only going to remember the color or the name or the song that they used, that they were singing during the election campaign. It's not like a 
intelligent mode or like a informed mode. Like you just like you have 29 options. Like you're not gonna actually decide which one is the better. You're just gonna choose the one that you remember. Yeah, not not based on. Uh a deep investigation of policies. Well, Maria Luz, it's been a pleasure to talk with you again, as always. And thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for the invitation. That was political scientist Maria Luz Cheng. Next up, we hear from Juan Cruz Diaz, managing director at Cefedas Group. He gave my colleague Luisa Leme a preview of Argentina's presidential race. Juan Cruz, thank you so much for participating of our podcast, Latin American Focus. It's just great to have you with us. It's a real pleasure to be here. Argentina elections are going to happen in October this year. Before this, in August, there is a very important process called El Paso, which are primaries for all coalitions uh, running for office in these elections. And we could start uh, this conversation talking about oficialismo, talking about Alberto Fernandez and the Frente para Todos coalition and how they might be seeking to stay in power. Absolutely. Um, this is a, a very, very important year for Argentina. Uh, we have these presidential elections. And of course, after uh, several difficult years in Argentina, the, the government of President Alberto Fernandez has been struggling a lot to maintain uh, approval ratings that would put him uh, in a re-election capacity. So the chances of President Alberto Fernandez to be re-elected are not very high, are actually very low. His approval ratings are, you know, uh, in the 20s, which is very low for Argentina, and, and that put him in a lot of problems to, to run for re-election, despite him saying that he will try to compete uh, in the primaries to, to be re-elected. So the question is, this Peronist government coalition will maintain united towards the elections uh, this year or not? And certainly the only chance for the Frente de Todos or the Peronist coalition to win the, the general elections this year will be eventually in a situation that will deal, they, they keep as a united front. But the problem has been in, is, is to maintain this unity in this very diverse coalition. As you know, uh, President Fernandez is leading a government of at least three sectors of factions within the Peronist Party. Uh, the most important is being led by the vice president and former president, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, which is, I would say, the more to the left or more, uh, you know, tough faction of the government coalition. The, the other uh, sector is the one that, is, that the president, Alberto Fernandez, uh, tried to represent, which is a more pragmatic, I would say, sector of the Peronist Party. And the third part of the government coalition, which has been the key part, is the one uh, led by Sergio Massa. He brought you know, the key votes to become the majority and, and make the possibility of this unity that made Alberto Fernandez president and, and make the Frente de Todos and the Peronist Party return to power. These three uh, sectors of the Peronist Party that has been in government since 2019 have, uh, um, in some cases, different views towards the economy, towards the geopolitics, towards regional alliances, um, 
businesses or, or trade and so on, uh, especially also attitudes toward how to handle the debt crisis that Argentina had. So part of the government in these years has been how President Fernandez has been dealing with these internal uh, tensions and these different views uh, in, in government. Do you see a scenario where Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner and Alberto Fernandez support Sergio Massa as a candidate? The main reason is not if it's Sergio Massa or not, if they man- agree to, to maintain unity. If they, if they agree mm-hmm. to that, you know, they will support uh, Massa or any other candidate. The opposition, uh, it's led by a coalition called Juntos por el Cambio, and former President Mauricio Macri is inside this coalition, but he said that he's not running. But they also haven't decided who is their front runner and who is going to be the representative for Juntos por el Cambio, right? Can we go through what are the internal tensions on the opposition side? Uh, certainly. Today, the one leading the polls is, is the Buenos Aires city mayor, Horacio Rodriguez Larreta, who, you know, has the ambition to become president and has been preparing for that uh, for a while. Uh, and he has been presenting himself traditionally as someone with firm ideas, but also appealing to the center and, and, and reaching out to, to moderate sectors. And that uh, approach has been, you know, receiving some uh, criticisms from other more radical sectors of, of the of the of coalition, which <laughs> believe that they shouldn't uh, have a pragmatic or moderate approach to certain political and political economy uh, uh, issues. And Patricia Bullrich, the president of the of the pro party, you know, the party that, that where President Macri and Horacio Rodríguez Larreta belong, former mm-hmm. minister of security of Mauricio Macri, but and also very and very focused on security. Uh, cer- certainly, and a mano dura, let's say. She, she's 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 very focused on on personal security, you know, fighting to drug trafficking and so on. Mm-hmm. She has you know very good approval ratings, and she's been criticizing. Uh, Major uh, Rodríguez Larreta for being soft in certain, you know, political issues uh, or, or, or even economic policy issues. Situation that it seems to 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 have the support of former President Macri. Former President Macri uh, has been uh, making public appearances, also trying to drive the agenda of the of the opposition coalition, also to a more tough approach. We have this conversation in that opposition coalition in which Rodríguez Larreta seems to be the front-running uh, candidate, but you know Patricia Woolrich has been very effective in putting herself out there. This is a, a very polarized environment, and the dynamics that we're seeing in the two coalitions are are, are also you know aligned to to to, to that situation. So. Is this uncertainty at this point inside these coalitions common for presidential elections in Argentina? What makes this 2023 elections different from past ones? Uh, in 2015, you have this opposition coalition, Juntos por el Cambio or Cambiemos or, or whatever name of the coalition you, you decide to call it, but uh, they, they did not have a track record of being in government at a national level. So it was like a blank sheet. And the perception for many people was for, uh, after this government was disappointment because they, they didn't have the results 
that, that many people expected. So right now you have these two coalitions um, fighting for becoming uh, a government in 2023, but they both have a track record. So that's a little bit different from the last previous elections. And that's why I see a new element that is you uh, coming to attention, which is the, the, the potential role that will have a new force in this election, a new third force. And that is Javier Milei. Exactly, exactly. I read a poll from Suban Cordoba Asociados that where they say that in none of the scenarios that they ran for these elections recently this month, any candidates have more than 23%. And Javier Milei, he is the outsider in Argentina. He has been compared with Jair Bolsonaro before. He has very different views. Can he really be a, a that surprise element and run over those both very well-established coalitions? Um, I mean, certainly is a new element that it's, that it's coming in these elections. He participated in the midterms recently, and he did very well in the city of Buenos Aires, running a vigorous presidential campaign. He's positioning himself as, as the anti-systemic right-wing libertarian that it's you know, very critical of the political establishment and how they use the state. He's, you know, he's, he, he comes from more orthodox, uh, uh, right-wing economic views, and he's appealing to the young populations a lot. Can you talk about a little bit of his uh, political biography and how does he get to be here? I mean, uh, this is very interesting because he's, I mean, he's not coming from politics. He's, uh, he's, he's an economic consultant. I mean, he's, I mean, he's well known in the TV talking about the economy. He consults mm. for many businesses and many well-known and important businessmen. Um, so at, 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 at the beginning, it, it just appeared like, a, you know, an experiment to see if, if, that, if that really worked. Uh, you know, to, to run uh, on a narrative that it was growing, not only in Argentina, but we saw how important it was in Brazil, you know, with, with the election of Bolsonaro, how robust mm -hmm. was in Chile with Cast's uh, campaign as well, you know, uh, good links with Vox in Spain, good links with, with some sectors of, of the Trump experience in the U.S. as well. So Argentina didn't have good representatives of, of, of that sector, and they found Javier Milei as one possibility. He ran uh, in the midterms for Congress in the city of Buenos Aires, and he did very well. He became a player, which is interesting because although he criticized the government a lot, uh, I think in a way he became a problem for the opposition coalition, for Junto for el Cambio, because mm. um, he has the potential of taking some of the votes that, that Junto por el Cambio plans to get. Argentina is a country that in comparison to its neighbors in South America has more progressive social uh, policies and laws. It's a country where abortion is legal now. Um, how social issues are playing a role uh, with this new character coming into this dispute? The main element 
in this election will be the economy. At the beginning, the social issues are quite linked to that. You know, lots of discussions on social safety nets, uh, social protection programs that implies a lot of expenditure for government accounts that affects the deficit and eventually has an, a huge impact on inflation and so on. That that will be a huge part of the discussion. And, and Javier Milei is bringing that narrative in terms of uh, fiscal responsibility, uh, reducing mm-hmm. the size of the state, reducing uh, social expenditure, and so on. In a way that, let's say, Rodriguez Larreta doesn't really go there. Exactly. In a way that Rodriguez Larreta is not going there. In a way that actually the, the government of President Macri didn't go there as many people expected. And uh, you know, Patricia Woolrich is trying to take that you know narrative a little bit as well. Um, but in terms of what you're asking me in terms of reproductive rights, uh, the huge women and feminist movement that has been, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, very impressive in Argentina, uh, that's, I would say, is mixed. There's a lot of supporters around, uh, you know, Javier Milei that are trying to be more social conservative. Many people believe that the, the women's movement and the feminist movement has had gone too far in Argentina at this point. But I would say that that's not a key part of the discussion. We saw how this feminist movement and the women's movement was way beyond the left, was way beyond the government coalition. A lot of sectors of Juntos por el Cambio were working also with that agenda. What do you think will be the, the main things to watch in Argentina to know more and understand who has better shots at the presidential race? First of all, how effective is Sergio Massa in controlling inflation? I don't think no one has the expectations for him to to stabilize completely the economy or eliminate inflation. But if he is perceived as successful in keeping the situation under control and improving the situation and, and gaining more confidence at a macroeconomic level, I would say that that's the first thing to watch because if that's the case, he becomes, you know, uh, you know, a viable candidate for the governing coalition. The second thing, if, if, if the government can keep unity towards the election. And, and the third thing that I would watch is how serious is Javier Milei as candidate or not in terms of numbers? Because uh, there mm-hmm. are polls that put him you know, a little bit over 10%, 12% or so on. There are polls that put him at 20%. And that's a substantial difference. If Millet, you know, is able to get, a, you know, something more like a 20% in, in the general election, that could really affect, uh, you know, the, the, the chances of Juntos por el Cambio uh, in that sense. And, and that can give an opportunity to the government, which for many people is is not a, a real opportunity at this point you know the government is is not with high approvals and it's going through a very difficult situation so at the opposition level either Horacio or Patricia will create robust candidacies you know it will be interesting to see but i think the more disruptive things to watch is how Millet performs and how the government is able to manage inflation or not Juan Cruz Thank you so much for talking to us and and being on Latin American Focus. 
It's always a pleasure and a, and a privilege talking to you and, and the American Society Council of the Americas about this anytime. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zesses. This episode was produced by John Orbach and our executive producer, Luisa Lemming. You can learn more about this year's Latin American elections at www.as-coa.org. Slash 2023. In this episode, you hear two songs, Descarga Gandinga, Mondongo y Sandunga, performed by Uso Ismael, and Admonición, performed by Fatima Abramo and Asuncion Cantero for America Society. Check the podcast notes for links to watch the full videos. Find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Write us a review, give us five stars, or subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>